Released on Sunday, January 27th, 2016. This Agile Life! Episode 105! Ding! Elevator Retrospective! The software industry transforms more and more every day. Agile methods are quickly replacing traditional ones. The question is, are you agile enough? This podcast is devoted to agile and lean software development. Time to welcome your agile coaches on This Agile Life. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Agile Life, a podcast about what it's like to be agile in the real world. My name is Jason Tice, otherwise known as The Agile Factor, and we want to thank you for joining us today for our podcast where we're going to have an awesome discussion. Joining me is Lee McCauley. How you doing? Hey, I am excited to be here. It's been so long. I've missed you guys. Good. And we also have Craig Buchek. Hey, everybody. I do not have an also known as. Okay. (laughs) And then last, but certainly not least, what are you trying to improve today, Amos King? Uh, everything. I can't pick one thing today. Today has been pretty, uh, pretty good. I just felt very motivated all day. So I'm just going to, I'm going to solve all my problems today while I still feel motivated. Were you happy? I was happy today. Did you measure your happiness metric, Amos? Um, no, I did not. I should. I, I, I'm a big fan of the happiness metric. Um, I, I think I've, I think it's because I've been trying to be a little healthier. I'm, I'm full of energy and motivated. I'm starting to realize where Tice gets all of his energy from. Really? Well, anyways, (laughs) let's move on to our real discussion tonight. So here, here's our background for everyone listening. So uh, it is January, 2016. And recently we had Diana Larson, who is one of the co-authors of the book, Agile Retrospectives. Um, she, She authored the book with Esther Derby and she was in town to do some work for, uh, for an organization. But while she was here, she actually held an open community event, which uh, was actually facilitated in what they called a, using what they call a stalwarts uh, style conversation where Diana sat on a bench up in the front of the room and she invited people to come up and engage in dialogue with her. And the dialogue went on for a few minutes and it was kind of based upon questions that people asked. So what we've done is we've extracted some of the questions and we thought we would talk about them and kind of share our thoughts. So um, I guess we'll just get started. So um, the first question, I will ask the questions, at least to get started, but we'll pass this off later on, is for a new scrum master, what advice would you have for people that don't like retros? Um, so I was actually at the Diana Larson event and she, we, my company that I'm currently working at is who invited her. So we actually, I actually spent a couple days with her. Um, so I think she mentioned, and I, and I had agreed with her that, um, retrospective is a time to work on improving your team. And so ask your team if they think that they're done with, uh, if they can't improve. So I think uh, this gets to uh, the enjoyment of a retrospective, which I'm not positive is a requirement, but uh, (laughs) if they're not engaged, then I think that's the same thing. Um, And to get people engaged, uh, it seems like a either the facilitator isn't doing a good job or uh, or B, maybe they need to have a retro on what can improve their retros. I do have a little retro at the end of my retros usually. Well, this is a hard question to answer without knowing what what is causing them not to like it. So I think the retro on why you don't like it is a fantastic place to start. But what I find is that 
people who don't like it either either they have a ton to say and they don't feel comfortable saying it or you're playing a bunch of games and they don't feel like they're getting anything out of it and your retro games need to go somewhere and i see a lot of facilitators that have games that are great games to play once you have a team who is really comfortable and open but before that they're just games and they never make it past that so (laughs) it's not me me making fun of you this time (laughs) so she actually had a follow-up question to the person asking this question and I believe it was what kind of activities or exercises or games are you doing? And the answer was basically the what went well, what what went poorly, and, and what should we try? And one, one piece of advice she had that was really good was don't do the same activity every time. It's just Woo-hoo! not effective, especially if they're either not coming up with action items or they're not following up with their action items. So the the thing that I took notes on when she said this was actually a week before Diana was in St. Louis. We had Luke Holman in St. Louis, and uh, we had an event with him, too. And one of the things he shared there at that event is that, you know, we kind of made up this practice in Agile, in Scrum, of having a retro at the end of every sprint. And one thing Luke said that was kind of profound is that maybe we retros aren't effective because we're having them too frequently and we're just going through the motions because whoop, it's the end of the sprint let's have a retro or it's that time of the week let's have a retro and uh, i i disagree you disagree I, I, usually most people i know aren't doing them enough although yeah. a lot of a lot of teams that i see uh doing sprints too they're not doing weekly sprints they're doing monthly sprints and having a retro at the end of a month and they don't know what happened that first week they yep. they have moved past a lot of the problems that they had during that time to where it's either old hat and they're used to it and so they don't recognize it as pain anymore or they don't even care. They're like, I don't want to recall that time uh, uh, three weeks ago when I broke down and I cussed out Tice. Let's just not talk about it. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, to me, the thing that I, the guidance I give teams is I, I really don't like time triggering retros. I like events triggering retros and really an effective retro. It should have an outcome. Bonus points if your outcome can be framed as a measurable experiment. Because then guess what? Go do the experiment. During the retro, say, we commit as a team to try this for two weeks. And maybe we'll have some criteria that if it goes, if it's a disaster, we will abort. But we we will push through it for two weeks so we could come in with data and we could say, thumbs up, it was awesome, or thumbs down, we're never doing that again. And have a scientific process there. If you do that, you'll have effective retros. If you don't have a planned retro, though, you're going to go for months without one and you're not going to change anything. Can we talk about the thumbs up and thumbs down real quick? Because just because you try something and everybody gives it a thumbs down doesn't mean you need to stop doing that new thing. Maybe you need to analyze that new thing that you're doing and see if it's really bringing out other pains that you yeah, can yeah. change. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, Amos, the feed, okay. defining the experiment, it forces a feedback loop so then you can have a whole team conversation about what to do next. And I simply see many teams that aren't following the process with that level of rigor. So uh, I think that gets to having an effective retro. And I think that would make it better for 
people as buy-in as long as they think that it's effective. But I have another problem, which is I run out of things to do that are different. Now, I find myself what? making up stuff on the fly um, that uh, uh, that work out pretty well that are based on the situation. And I can I can usually go in with uh, with some uh, activity kind of in my back pocket, but I rarely end up using the one that I actually plan to use because something in the team says, you know, that's not going to be the right, the right thing today. You, you, you mean you run out of activities during the retro, not new, changes. no new activities. I new. run out of new activities, but things I, that aren't just, like we did this <laughs> three times in the last six months, you know, or it, six weeks. Hey Lee, call me. I got. I, I've been described. I'm a buffet. I'll give you some. <laughs> that's, I, I, that's I think that I can that, run on the on a, on the uh, at the just on yeah. the spur of the moment. Let's, well, you you have you have some good stuff there in that you said you know I come in and I realize before we even start that the activity I have planned isn't going to work, but you have enough in your arsenal that you're able to pull something else out. Uh, the the big thing is is especially if your teams are not happy with your retros, I think you might need to spend a little more time as the facilitator preparing. Uh, and um, I've been on a lot of teams where someone from the team runs the retro and, or someone external runs it. Maybe try swapping that up a little bit if it starts to get bored. So I did do something that I, I would love to get your feedback on that might, uh, uh, relate to this. So I think that occasionally doing something that's just a little bit silly um, at, at, in short time that doesn't necessarily have a big payoff as long as you've gotten the big payoff. So on a recent retro, um, at the, the last five minutes of the retro, we actually did because I, I do a little thing every day, you know, how did the last week go? And we do the little one to 10 thing. Right. And it's just something that the team expects. And so they when we and we talk about real quick um, the changes in that in that vector. Right. And so at the end, I said, well, we spent the entire time talking how did I can get to that 10 mark. Now I want you to figure out what is the we're going to play cards against humanity retro style and give me your funniest thing that's appropriate that will get you to the one. And we spent five minutes. Everybody just threw something out and everybody had a good laugh and we ended it. And I think stuff like that on occasions um, makes the retros not quite so uh, so much of a chore. Yeah, and Lee, what I'm hearing there a little bit, I mean, I'm hearing it's fun, but I'm also hearing a little bit of a reference to metaphor. And, and almost what I would encourage you to do is don't do that at the end of the retro. Do that at the beginning of the retro, almost to kind of set the stage. And instead of having people talk in context about whatever the problems are, have them talk in a metaphor because that forces people to start to ask clarifying questions. And by asking those clarifying questions, that's how we could actually learn what the problems are. I've got a metaphor game for you. Okay, let's play right now. I've done this with a team. Uh, no, we can't play it right now. Well, I'm not prepared wait. for this because I'm not prepared for this. Just whip it out, Amos. <laughs> uh, so so you split your team into two groups, and one group writes down a set of nouns for each person in that group that has to do with work, like whether it's like code or whatever. They just write some nouns. And then the other half of the team writes 
random nouns that they find interesting. And then you put those two together, like you pair these lists side by side, and then everybody on the team has to write a sentence. But each sentence, each sentence, they have to write a bunch of sentences, but each sentence has to use the two nouns there as a metaphor for each other. So you get crazy stuff like uh, the the pairing is a dog. Uh, the pair switching is a dog and then you, they have to write a sentence using that metaphor and it, it has created some great stuff. And then you can do the same thing with an adjective and a noun. Could yeah. you do, do it? sounds like a Mad Libs thing. Is that what you're talking about? Uh, kind of, but they're supposed to try to actually come up with something like, how is that a dog and, and like expand on that. And I it, got it. Has, has drawn out a bunch of stuff anyway. Sorry. Yeah. And, and for those of you that are into other types of things like that, there's a whole, there's a whole um, practice out there. It's called clean language. And it's about how to take a metaphor and ask more clarifying questions to learn. So it'd be like, Amos, tell me more about how your pairing is like a dog. And then we go on and we go on and we go. And what's funny is most people, number one, are laughing. But what you realize is they're laughing, they're engaged, and they're actually learning, which is what's most important. The thing that I'll sh- uh, that I have to admit I really like that Diana did emphasize about retros because there were a lot of questions at, at this session about retros was that a retro is one of is really we talk a lot about process improvement but at its core it really is a learning activity because people should be having team discussions to learn what they can do. All right, so it got quiet. So I think that's our signal to move on. So we're not using a, a timer tonight. So, uh, but if it gets quiet, maybe we'll go on to another question, and I'm sure we'll light it up again. Shall we? Sure. Who would like to be the next question reader? I'll do it. Thank you, Amos, for volunteering. What do you do to introduce agile transformation to teams that have no background in agile? <laughs> Who would like to answer? So Tice has been making me think more in this direction and Diana definitely pushed me much, much further. Invite them. Don't try to convince them. So you, you have to show them, you have to make them want it without trying to make them want it. I guess, you know, you have to show the value. You have to be excited about it. Um, I mean, think about how we got into agile. You knew someone that was excited about it enough to tell you about it um, show you, explain how it's working, why it's working. Uh, maybe that was in a book, but probably it was someone in, you knew in person that explained that to you and got excited. And then you took a leap of faith and trusted them. Yeah. Or, or I was going to say more specifically like for all of us, actually, I think many of us, you know, voluntarily chose to work for a company that chose to do agile. And so we kind of said, Oh, we'll check it out. Probably because we saw it and we said, Hey, that makes common sense. But I think I think the uh, the question gets more at from a consulting basis. How do you go in and introduce something to a new team? Right. And and I think I think the answer starts with you don't really introduce it as here's this great new thing that we're going to be doing or trying or whatever. It's uh, uh, you start with improvement. Right. We think we can get better, Um, even though you guys are great. You're doing all these great things, but you know what? I think we can, we can go even further and that's where you start. Now let's talk about how do we go further? Now you can start introducing some of the things that make that are, 
good engineering practices and why they're good engineering practices and good process practices and why they're good. And it's that why. Once you've started talking about that, you get people out of their their standard perspective. And and I, I like that you started with. I think we can get better. First of all, you, you're including yourself because you're saying we, but at the same time, you're putting the power in their hands. You're saying that that we can do this and you can do this and, and it's going to be great to have you on this journey because you're going to bring yourself to the table and that's what we need. And so you're in a way with that one little statement, you're showing that you're a team by being with them, but you're also empowering them. So I would also add that um, one of the best things when introducing it is not to talk about uh, or, or in addition to talking about the team and improving the team, you also have to, to uh, emphasize improving the individual because ultimately what people are doing in their jobs is for their own benefit. And you got to keep that in mind. So as long as they feel like they're improving themselves, they will they will uh, continue to improve the team along with it. So when, when you're beginning with agile, even though all our agile practices derive from the, the agile values and principles, actually I advise not to start there. Um, start with something that's going to make a small change. that's going to be visible, get a small win, uh, something practical, you know, make a small improvement that's practical. We're going to make a, a an impact on the team and they keep building on that, um, you know, smaller, snowball, bigger and bigger, and then explain why you're doing it and, and, and go back to those values. Um, and this is something I've been learning lately that, um, we usually think that our behaviors are based on our, our thoughts and our, our, our values, but it turns out that, a lot of times that's we have that backwards. So if you can start influencing the behavior, it'll build those values up eventually. One of the things I like to do when uh, coming onto a new team and trying to introduce agile and it, it, a lot of other coaches and developers that I've talked to um, kind of find this, very counterintuitive, which I think there's a lot of things that we find that way when we're start doing agile uh, is actually go after the newest person on the team, like the youngest, most junior member. And I start to try to get them on board with some of the practices and moving. And when people see them improve, they, they expect them to improve anyway, but when they see that new guy improving faster than they thought that they should, then they want to start getting on board. So I actually start with like, the more junior guys and I kind of let the senior guys just run however they were already running and then work from the bottom up that way. Yeah. With that, Amos, I want to actually make sure we jump back to one, something that Lee said when we got this started and make sure people understand it. Cause I think what Lee did a really good job of describing was how when agile starts, it, it really needs to be a people focused activity. So, you know, it's not, it's not mystery consultant that's shown up with a black coat that says, thou must do pair programming. That, you know, because it is agile and I have blessed it. That's not it. It's the people having autonomy to decide how they want to work. Maybe they have a coach and they, to get some help if they need it. But those decisions are ultimately made by the people who will be responsible for what's built. And what I see, and I think you guys have lived this too, all too often, is that 
there is a mandate. You know, it's more like, nope, we must do pair programming. And I think we could all tell, we could do a whole podcast how that doesn't work. Um, as a reference out there, I'll put this in my picks, for which I will now have to have more than one pick. There's a there's a guy who's written a whole book about how to use this idea, what they call open space, to begin an agile transformation. And so instead of going off to a training class where everyone learns about agile and you learn about the beauties of this mysterious person called a scrum master, you simply have a, a circle and you talk just like you guys are saying about the current challenges we have, the current pain we're feeling, and you create that case for change that motivates people to say, I want to step up, I want to learn something, and I want to change how I can work so we can improve. That's actually the reason why I dislike Scrum is simply because it prescribes certain practices, which is by its nature not necessi- it not necessarily a um, a a person centric sort of a methodology. It, uh, it, I know it, it, it all de- it, exactly. I know that it all depends on how you execute it, and so that's it's not maybe not a fair statement. But. Wait, I think when you say you, that we're doing X or doing Y, and it's a set of prescribed practices, that it it makes it simple for people to try to tear things apart whenever you aren't doing part of it, whenever the team wants to move on from part of it, they're like, well, it's all crap then. And they lump all of it as one big package and they don't look at the pieces as well. So it's it's a hard place to start for me. Actually. I, I always called scrum training wheels for agile, but I really don't think it is. I think it's training wheels for something else. That's not agile. So let me (laughs) ask this. Does anyone know the subtitle to the, to the scrum guide? Uh, uh, I picked the uh, scrum guide actually last time. Last oh boy. I've, I've read it, but I don't, I can't remember. I don't know what to tell you, but it's, it's like the definitive guide to the rules of the game or something to that effect. And the key thing is they define scrum as a game. And again, it was one of Luke Holman's buzzwords that people were tweeting when he was in St. Louis earlier in January was when games have rules for a reason, because rules were made to be broken. So maybe Scrum is a way to go ahead and get started. I mean, take Monopoly. You know, Monopoly, if we played it by the rules, it would take like a half hour. That's what they say. Last time I played a Monopoly game with my family, we played it for like five days because we, you know, we have all of our own crazy rules that we've made up because they work for us. So I think, Amos, to your point, maybe Scrum's training reels, maybe you start with what the book says. But guess what? If something's not working or something doesn't feel right or you feel pain, it's okay to break the rules. The thing is, with your family, you're in a pretty consistent group of people that are always the same. And a lot of times in business, you are in a group of people that that change a lot more often than your family does. You have people coming onto the team, people leaving the teams. And with those new people coming in, you get a lot of pushback on changing those rules and having house rules. And people are like, well, then don't call it scrum. And they get hung up on this is what it is, and now you're not doing it. Okay, so, so that, you're not saying, being so that is a little dog. So that's bad because that's dogmatic. But, but the key thing I want to ask is when that person shows up, how does that dialogue go? So I'm your new person. So hi, Miss, I'm on the team here. Um, the team. I'm not saying it's the new person saying it. I'm okay. saying because of the cycling of people, you get that. It's well, not always the new person that's saying it. I, what I wanted to guess, I wanted to ask, and what I've seen a lot of is where people don't communicate effectively to explain why a team that is established has chosen to work the way they have. So new person shows up, they're expected, even if the team has the most beautiful charter on the wall, whatever, there is still a leap of faith that I think a lot of agilists have that this person is just going to figure it out. 
And what I see is an opportunity for both teams and new people on teams, as you're describing, to have better dialogue to promote better learning. Like hour-long pair switches. <laughs> Just had to say that for Craig because I wanted to see his face. Uh, that might this way. That okay, let's role play. So hi hey, 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 I'm the new guy. Why on earth do you do hour long pair switches? That's dumb. Oh, here you want me to get my paper out here? I've actually because, been writing a lot of this down. Here, let me summarize uh, what oh, he's hey, gonna he's say. Like, he's like Because it works for <laughs> us. Gold plating reduction, knowledge sharing, technical debt reduction, uh, and you spread the brilliance around so that everybody can be brilliant. Okay, but but Amos, I'm new. <laughs> I, I need some more time to kind of get my head around the story. I don't think I could do that in an hour. So I'm not I mean, do I have to do that? How about how about watch the team's example? If the team seems to be doing it well, which they probably are because if they didn't find effective, they would probably stop doing it. So, so why not observe what they're doing and and take this as an opportunity to learn? And and I think as a new person on any team, there's a little bit of you need to be you have to observe for a little bit, but not so long that that you end up forming habits that you think that they should change. So there's a very fine line between listening and understanding and following along for a little bit, and then becoming complacent. Well, I like that actually, and and what I would do from that because we we actually do this uh, when we when I, we coach and train facilitators for how to like lead games is how to have observers. So I would say that maybe Amos an opportunity here for, to help people listen to you if they have this new team member scenario which you've described is you know say hey for the next week you're an observer on our team and what we want you to do is not actually do any like direct work but we want you to be part of the team we want you to be engaged and we want you to write down everything that you think is interesting or that you have a question about and then at the end of that week we want to see all these note cards we're going to throw them on a table and we're going to go through them all and we're going to have a great conversation that's going to help you learn but we're also going to have an open mind and we're going to say if you have an idea or an experience that you think would help us improve we're going to give you a conversation we're going to give you an opportunity to have a conversation about that and I'd love to know, has anyone done that? Like on a real team? No, I don't let the new guy talk. <sighs> we, we've actually got a program at our, at our current, my current place I work um, called an engineer exchange program where for a week you can go visit another team and see how they're working and spread ideas around and, and, you know, see, you know, bring some things back like, Oh, Hey, they're doing one hour pair switching. You're like, it's crazy, but it's working. Well, I, I like that because that's a little bit of self-organization. It sounds like um, my, my current client, you can do that every day. You cool. can just go to a different team and be like, hey, you guys need some help. Well, so let me ask this. Craig, I, I know when Diana was in town, you, you shared that she had actually facilitated an open space for your for your organization. Um, could you and you, you said you liked it. Could, could you tell us why? Like. Um, it was. It was sort of we were invited, not, you know, there was no coercion. Um, so the way we were invited to attack problems was very conducive to everyone having a voice, um, to enthusiasm, to problem solving and brainstorming. Um, and the amount of contribution from, you know, a majority of the people there was was pretty amazing. 
And we, we did come up with, um, we, we talked through the problems we're having. We ended up noticing themes across, you know, the multiple problems we were having that, you know, ended up mostly being about communication between the teams um, was one of the big ones. Uh, and, and I'm sure that's probably the case at most, most companies. Um, so just the way things were allowed to happen, basically, and having that permission for anything to happen allowed the best things to sort of happen. It, it's, it's hard to explain, actually. It's, that was incredibly vague. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and I think that's the point. I mean, open spaces apparently came from hallway tracks of conferences where people said, you know, just the conversations I have in the hallways between uh, conference talks is, is more valuable than the conference talks half the time. So how do we, how do we facilitate that? And they found a way and, and, and it can be really effective. I found. Yeah. And we've done a, you guys, if you listen to prior picks, we've rolled a few of these um, actually open to the community in, in the St. Louis area. And I, I believe a few others have attended probably attended open space elsewhere, but one of the, it was created by Harrison Owen. And one of his statements in the book about it is that uh, it's actually be prepared to be, I believe he uses the word surprised because what happens if you go to more of like a traditional workshop or a traditional conference, you effectively go in with some element of expectation about what you're going to get because you've seen, you've seen the syllabus, you've seen the program and your brain starts to judge that whether you, whether you wish to acknowledge it or not, you start to judge it because that's just the way we work as humans. An open space does not allow that to happen. And really to show respect to everyone involved, you simply discover what is available for discussion by it being present and in the space. And then those who are willing to basically offer to convene a session about a particular topic, challenge or whatever. And again, I have this uh, a colleague that I've worked with, uh, Dan Mesnick. He's the guy that wrote this book about how to use open space within the context of an agile transformation. Um, I have had the opportunity to do this, and I will just say it is a much more effective way to go almost full circle back to what Lee said, how to have on day one of your agile transformation, have effective conversations where people from teams are engaged they're learning and everyone is rallying around this idea of let's start to improve and let's start to learn. So I, I would push back on everyone. Um, so one of the very few rules of an open space is the law of two feet, which says that if you're not getting something or contributing to a conversation in a session, you can leave. Um, and so you may not find anything of value to contribute or learn from, and you may actually leave the open space completely. Well, and what I'll say, and actually what, what the, my uh, colleague Dan Messer would say is if you have that with agile transformation, they're effectively not part of the transformation because they're not, they're not, they're not supporting the effort. And I think that's where many organizations go wrong because they, the term in the in a coaching community we use is we say we're, they're pushing agile by mandate. So, Hey team, you must all effective next Monday. You are agile. Boom. I, I I don't believe in enforcing people, but I am not beyond begging. Yeah. <laughs> Co- coercion? Yes. Bribery? Please try this. I'll buy you all pizza. Ah, that sounds bribery. like bribery. 
<laughs> okay, well, this is not a pick, but since we talked about open space, um, just for those that listen, we're gonna do two, we're gonna do a regional event in St. Louis uh, in the spring. We don't have a date yet, so it's not a pick. But listen to us; you'll hear it. But we are gonna do a regional agile open space uh, in the spring of 2016, and then we are actually gonna do an agile coach camp, which we're working with the coach camp people on in the fall. So it'll be in the fall, like you know. We don't have an NFL team anymore, so we'll have a coach camp instead. And we, if you listen to us, uh, we would invite you to come um, and join us. This will be actually organized through uh, ACCUS, so it will be actually an agile coach camp. Um, so join us. And we really need to fill up the entire stadium. Otherwise, it's going to go to waste. <laughs> no, we're not. In, we're, we're using a big venue, but it's not that big. Okay, and, so and and we we is who because it's not this agile life. No, this is something that I'm doing. Um, I'm I'm okay. I'm the organizer. I will inevitably need some help. And for the many people who have pinged me on Twitter, yes, thank you for helping. We're working with venue to get date confirmed, and once we have that done, we'll have a bunch of work that um those of you that have volunteered to help in advance. Thank you so much. Um, we will be in touch and. I hope, put it this way, I hope you guys from the podcast, both on the podcast and listening, would consider this as an opportunity to join us. So uh, watch this space. More to come later in 2016. Let's go on. Another question. And people still want to have a This Agile Life conference. Uh, I'll mention that. Conferences, there's a lot of work. Anyways. Okay, I'll take the next one. Okay, go for it, Lee. We're a real small team. Do we really need to... uh to do this every sprint is the retro framed correctly and can i add because i think oh, was that like four questions it's all one line it was all one line <laughs> and, and what i what the good clarification here is the the person came up and the first thing diana asked she said how many people are on your team and craig i think craig for i think it was two people so it's a very small team when they say small they really mean it <laughs> was it two developers uh, well, I like to have retros with my wife, and we're a two-person team. I've had yeah, a retro by myself, <laughs> and there yeah, we have we've had introspectives. I I I keep a um like a journal, and every day I write in it on like what were the goals for the team today, how effective was I at helping them meet them those goals, and how in what ways did I hurt in trying to meet those goals? And are my goals the same as the team's goals? So the question is, can we can we do what, uh, if you've got a small team like that, is it easier to do what Jason suggested at the beginning and make retros event-driven? And then it's the retro is essentially like a turnaround, and you discuss the issue as it comes up. Uh, my favorite event-driven retro times are Fridays. <laughs> I like that too. When, when fr- every time there's a Friday, you should have a retro. I, I, Monday or a Tuesday, one of those days. Just pick one of them. That, I've not found anything that's been like trigger based on Ooh. something happening to be a a great time for a retro. Um, well, we've, we've maybe had I have triggers. We've had impromptu ones that were triggered impromptu, by events. Impromptu, I think, is different. That's not, hey, we're triggering every time we do a release or we're triggering every time somebody yells at somebody in the pit. I, I would not recommend that kind of a trigger because I think that would create a that would create a predictable behavior pattern that would not be effective. A trigger should be something that's defined that's based upon a specific scenario. Like what? Can you give an example of a of a good trigger? Like. Our t- okay, our team has a morale problem. 
So, listening to this podcast called This Agile Life, we heard this guy named Amos King talk all about this thing called the happiness metric. So, we Googled it and we looked at Amos's picks, and we as a team have decided we are going to track and visually chart our happiness metric for the next two weeks. We write that, we say we go do it. Okay, we do it. In two weeks, we say we have been tracking the happiness metric for two weeks. Is it providing value? Yes or no? That's an event trigger. Where was the event was two weeks? What was you? The event said was you d- were going to try. Yeah, the event was the, the event in this case would be the end of the experiment period. And the length of the experiment period may vary based upon the nature of the experiment. So that doesn't feel like event driven to me. That feels like time driven. Like it's still a, yeah. here. We're going to commit to this amount of time. It's the same thing yeah. as saying we're going to have one. Every- an, event, an event to me, event driven would be some sort of exceptional case came up. Yeah, like, um, like or, our process, we had a process so, failure. Oh, I got one. Every 20 stories that we complete, we're going to have a retro. So that, it sounds like we have a definitional and, issue here because Amos is talking about a specific repeatable uh, event that triggers the retros. And Craig is talking about what what previously Amos called an impromptu retro retro that just occurs when you need it. That's kind of what I was talking about with is uh, retros or discussions that occur when you need it. Uh, so what are we, what are we really getting at here? Are we talking the same thing? They're, they're, they're both of value. I think, I think you both. If yeah. You, yeah. You, it's, it's okay to have an impromptu retro if you want to address something, but don't, not schedule a retrospective every week or every other week or some on some sort of short schedule of when that you, kind of time frame because you won't do it. You'll stop doing them. What if, I, if I'm a, if I've got two people on my team and I'm pairing all the time and every time an issue comes up, we discuss it and we figure out a, a solution for it. We may even set up experiments right there on the spot. Do I really need a retro then? I, yes. yes. Yes, and you need someone else to facilitate your retro because I've had teams that say, oh, we pair all the time, we do this, and I watch them, and they don't even realize there's a problem. Same t- with teams. How is that going to come out in a retro then if they don't realize there's a problem? Because the retro exercises are there to bring out those issues, to, that's to bring I'm, them to the forefront. That, that's, that's they're tricking you into bringing them up. When you Can we so get this, Tyson here before he explodes? <laughs> Yeah, it's funny when you have teams that are are putting off the retros or saying I'm only going to do retros when I need them or anything like that. The problem is by the time you feel like you need a retro, you're already past the point that you actually needed a retro. So I think that you need both. You have impromptu ones for when something like really dire comes up or if there is a problem you can immediately address it there's nothing wrong with immediately addressing a problem don't throw it in an envelope and wait till the retro but also have retros to make sure that there aren't hidden problems that you aren't thinking about i only go to the dentist when my teeth hurt that's right <laughs> well so i got i got a oh, i got much i brush so. my teeth every day or when i need it yeah i only brush my teeth when there's stuff growing on them yeah yeah so first and foremost, a couple of things we can summarize that are all good good recommendations is that retros, you should have multiple classes of service for retros. It's very, very, very David Anderson answer. I like that you, you gave it a title. Well, no, it's this idea of we have a we have a fixed we have a fixed class of service, which is kind of the recurring retro that's time based. Or in my case, I said it was experiment based. But then we have this elevated class of service like. 
Again, for some of you listening, it's January. We had the turnaround that was a meltdown today that launched the hour and 57 minute impromptu retro that we had in our director of sales office at the company I'm currently working with. So we piled into his office because that was the only place we could find. And we re- we solved the problem. So I think, I think we need a retro class of service certification and we could sell certifications for each class of service so amos why don't you jump on the plane with me come to (laughs) david anderson's lean kanban conference which is in may where we're gonna do a whole bunch of we're gonna do gung-ho there we're gonna do movie i'll plug more stuff anyways um but yeah amos you could talk about that because i think most teams only have um a single class of service and practices just like you described where they've got the burning issue the turnaround that is a meltdown they put it in the little pandora's box it sits there for two weeks until the end of the sprint and then people open the box they're like what's up with this and no one cares that that that's a that's a fail so don't do that your team to be safe needs to have a mechanism to handle those things that just happen on demand so the other one that I was just going to say, don't Lee, wait to fix the problem. Well, just the other be one, a bigger problem. Well, the other one too that I just want to make sure that Lee that Lee touched on, but I want to emphasize more for the small teams out there. And Craig, I hope you experience this with Diana. Did she bring the quilt? Yes, she did. So she brought a quilt. So what Diana uses, like in an open space, and then she does this very well. Like she has this whole quilt that she puts on the floor and effectively uses it as something to gather around, and she does that to create a unique environment. And the key thing about this, this, this environment is it's making your brain think. And so I see a lot of small teams that literally all they do is pair constantly and they never get up. They never go to a coffee shop and have a conversation. All they do is work. And so to have an effective dialogue, like a retro, you need to change the context somehow. So maybe go sit on a quilt or in the park or go to the playground, go to McDonald's, whatever. But you got to get up and do something because otherwise you're not going to have an effective conversation. So many of the things that she did were very subtle like that. Like she walked around. So she had the chairs arranged in a circle. We all sat, you know, facing in and she walked around the circle for probably 10 minutes or more. And, you know, at first you're like, why is she walking? And then she explained it like it was to look at everyone, to look at everyone else that you work with or maybe don't work with and and need to get to know. And it, it, was, it was it was interesting. And she also had balloons and there were, you know, colorful balloons and colored markers and and some posters she put up around. And, and all of those were just these subtle little things to get your mind working in a different way than it's used to. I I think I mentioned this on here before, but I've even had remote pairs where we were working remotely and I say, we need to go on a walk together. And they're like, what are you talking about? I'm 800 miles away. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. We're going on a walk and I'll call their cell phone and I'll go for a walk. And I've stopped and been like, I still hear the office. I can hear you typing get up and (laughs) go outside and I'll wait until I can hear cars and stuff going by and we'll go for a walk and talk about the problem we were trying to solve. And they've come back to me later and said, that was the fastest way to solve that. Like (laughs) that that was fantastic. Yeah. and, And realize the key thing I think about all these things we're talking about environment. And this, again, this goes back to this retro I had today where the root cause was the people, you know, who, who's on our teams? Who? What's on the teams, people? People. Thank right. you. People. People, not resources. <laughs> and unfortunately, guess what? Our brains work at different speeds. 
And like again, I had this this team to had a melt a turn a, a turnaround meltdown because you know some people on the team wanted to make a decision faster than someone else was capable of doing. So we figured out a way that they could all we figured out a way that we could actually have a process that would effectively slow them down, so they could all communicate effectively and then and then make a decision where they have a consensus and everyone understands the impact. So. Well, let's see. We've been talking for a while. Why don't we do one more question to close this out? Um, and I think we've done a whole whopping total of. Uh, I think our metrics would be what I, we've done. We've done three questions, and the fourth question is about nope, metrics. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> I I think I think we should vote on the fourth question, and I'm marking one that is actually because uh, before we ever even got on here, there was some <laughs> tension there, and I think that we should clear the air. Really, and you don't think a conversation about metrics with Lee and me here would would not have tension? No. Oh, <laughs> sure it would. Okay, so because Lee would be right and you would be wrong, and ever maybe Dawn. Let me show you my Monte Carlos. Oh, okay. Um, so the question that has been highlighted in red to assert its dominance over all over ah. all of us is uh, overall oh, question. You see that it is the most superior question. So the most superior question of the day. You know the Dominant. reason he would be right is just because he's a doctor and you're not right. Oh. but he's I got a piece that says he's right. I have I mean, his authority. <laughs> Boy, this is like John's sexual greatest hits. But we, I I have an MBA. Just- Lee will not assert his authority, so I'm going to assert it for him. <laughs> Thank you, Amos, for being a provocateur. So our final question for the night, I feel like Megan Kelly here, is uh, if you're only doing 30-minute retros, should you even bother doing them? No. And what, and what did Ty say? Ty says yes. I, I say no. Diana says no. I and think She had depends. a reason to back this up. Okay. I'm going to I'm going to go with Tice. Even if you're only doing 30 minute retros is if, if you're coming out with something to do and to change and you're focusing on it, I think it's OK. I'm going to straddle the fence here and say uh, uh, I could I could be convinced that you could do a 30 minute retro and make it effective. Right. I have never been able to do one in 30 minutes uh, though well, okay, and make yeah, it effective. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. let's, let's have some sanity here. So, cause if people are to drive their cars off the road right now. Okay. Uh, so ground rules. If you have a larger team, like I'd say more than five people, you're going to need more time. Just be. And one thing that Diana did say is just because of the mechanics of providing an opportunity for people to, to share what they think with the group. And so larger group takes more time to share. So small teams, you know, these little two persons or two person team, three person, four, maybe up to five with a well, a well-crafted plan. I believe you can effectively make it through the, the five stages of the retro and generate an outcome. If it's a newer team where the people are getting to know each other, not recommended because people need to learn. But if it's a team that's really matured and they're gelled and they know each other, I think it is feasible. I, th- I I agree with that. Maybe you might be able to get to a point where a 30 minute was possible. I, I think it's, I think of anything bigger than, yeah, four probably is probably going to not be very I, effective in a half an hour. Here, here's the thing though. 
if you're doing 30 minutes, it's not set a timer and at the end of 30 minutes say, we're done. No, no, thank you. If it needs to take longer, it needs to take longer. But you have effective 30 minute retros, especially the impromptu ones that are focused. Yeah. We know what the problem is. We're trying to solve it. Yeah. yeah, and what, it's don't schedule. I think it was more like don't schedule half and only half an hour for your record. Well, yeah, at least say something before Ty scan. <laughs> I have a plea. I have a plea. <laughs> I want to do it as a plea. I have a plea. Are you going to give me pizza if I let you talk? Well, no, I have a plea to all the facilitators out there, and I know why you have to do this, but can we please explore how to get beyond what I'm going to call mechanized facilitation? Which is where you're in an environment where to get a meeting room, you have to reserve it and you reserve it for an hour. And the next thing you know, that forces your retro to be an hour. I think that that practice, and unfortunately, that is a necessary evil of how most organizations work, except for something I'm going to make Craig talk about, I think, is is figure out a way to not fall victim to that. If that means you have to go reserve a conference room for the whole afternoon or something or borrow someone's office like I did today who was who was traveling, figure it out so truly you can have a retro and the team decides when it's done. They can stay as long as they want and when they're done, they get up and they walk out and they're not booted out of the space by someone else coming in because there's a scheduled session in there in that room. I had Great retros that I didn't have schedule. One of them, we walked to the nearest corporate coffee place. Yes. And just sat down and took over. And we were actually told to be quiet. And I looked around. I said, we are the only people in here. And the lady goes, oh, yeah, that's true. And went back to the counter. Okay. The second one was in an elevator. What? Could not get a room. And we just went and got in the elevator. And we rode up and down three times (laughs) while we talked. I actually love that, Avis. (laughs) It's like a, you get like the it elevator. It's a coffee talk. It's like an elevator pitch. <laughs> describe your idea. Uh, describe your idea in the 30 seconds the elevator takes. So that's actually, that's a brilliant idea. Oh, you can use that as a retro game. Come on, guys. Oh, We're come on. Oh, dude, elevator. we totally should do that. Um, yes. Well, we only have two floors in our building. <laughs> yeah, but you got some really. Take the stairs. Dude, you got a data center elevator in that building. It's huge. You could get like six teams on it. So, uh, Amos, just, just, for, but just for clarification, everyone. Before you do have a public retro, make sure that it is okay because you don't want to be out in a public space talking about confidential stuff and get into an information assurance. So, so make sure you talk that through. Okay. All right. I want to, I want to make the case for retros taking generally longer than 30 minutes. Okay. Go for it. Um, so uh, first of all, uh, Diana's book, the, the agile retrospectives book talks about the five stages of a retro and, you know, first is setting the stage. Um, and then gathering facts and then brainstorming. And I don't remember the, the, the fourth one, but the fifth one is basically closing. Um, you have to go through the process of each of those to, I mean, setting the stage is getting yourself into a mindset and gathering data is making sure that when you're trying to solve the problem, that you're actually solving a problem and that you do have and not one that you don't have. So all those take some time and it's going to take some time to brainstorm and it's going to take some time to, to choose something that you think is going to be effective. It takes time to think. And a lot of these things are, are subtle. Um, just setting the stage. You're like, oh, we don't need to set the stage. We can just go in and let's just go brainstorm some solutions, but your brains don't work that way. They take time to settle down. And you know, if you're going to brainstorm, 
it helps to be in a creative environment. And so mixing things up is definitely a way to get that creative environment. You know, go to that elevator or coffee shop or go to the park, you know, do something that's going to change the way you're thinking and you'll come up with much better retrospectives. So it's quiet and we've been talking about these questions for a while. Um, I don't know. Want to do one more? Should we close it out? Close uh, it. I say, no, you really want to do that. That metric question. No, only that her only for time. Oh, her lightning round. Her only guidance was don't use velocity. <laughs> Plus one. That's all you need to know. <laughs> uh, you can use cycle time. You always use cycle time instead of velocity. Yeah, but don't use velocity. Um, That's all you all. need to know. You can use velocity it, to predict what you might do as a team might do. Do not use it to compare teams. Yeah, I think you should hey. use WTFs per hey. hour. So one bonus. So, Craig, I do want to ask you a question, and I do not know the answer. I'm just curious. So back to the retros and this what I get what I'm calling the mechanized facilitation, which I think is bad. Do you, in your environment, do you have your retros in your team spaces? Um, most of the time, I don't. I don't like that at all. You I, don't I, really. No, I. No. I, I guess, think you need to change your perspective by being in a different space. Yeah, and it's fine. I, yeah, I like to. I'd rather get a conference room or even more an open space where you're not going to be. Um, bothered, but that's harder to do. Put it this way: there's science to that, which I support. But I do think your organization is really cool because the um, what, what your organization they've kind of done the uh, the guidance that I know I was joking about once, saying that hey, if you ever wanted to build like a cool agile environment, you should like go get an old school because like a classroom makes a great size for like a team area and would have some extra space for like a meeting corner and the, all the devs and like the the business folks to all kind of have little air work centers, but then I'll be able to collaborate. And your yeah. organization has built that uh, where you actually have like little physical rooms that you each group works in, which is really cool. So and we've got we've got workstations, you know, standing desks that sit or stand. And then we've got like a couch and some chairs and another table and a big monitor that those are centered yeah. around. Oh, grade school would be fantastic. At least mine. We had yeah. like a room, a room in the back of the room that was the coat closet. But it was really a room. And it was like a nice place that you could you could have to get away and get yeah. some. Put in there when he's bad. Oh, really? I thought I was going to get put back there. Jeez. <laughs> thought about as it. long as we can get better chairs. Well, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, so one closing comment. Just want to pass along. As we mentioned, Diana Larson was in St. Louis uh, in January 2016. Uh, her appearance was actually part of an event that was hosted by CenturyLink. So thank you to CenturyLink for uh, helping us bring Diana Larson to St. Louis so she could actually have an open event that was really did help to benefit our local Agile community here. So, But let, let's go on here and uh, let's do our picks. This week's hottest picks. Recap of things I know I mentioned on the podcast. A couple books. So a book about clean language. It's a way to ask, you know, open questions using metaphor to promote learning. So um, it's a book. Check it out. We'll put the link in the show notes. Also, this um, this idea of using open space to facilitate agile transformation. There's a book about it um, uh, by Dan Mezik, and he does workshops on it. So we'll put that link on the website. And my third pick is this. Um, it is submission season. So number one. 
Thank you to Craig, who has shared an idea to present at Agile 2016. Craig, we thank you for sharing that. And um, also want to say thank you to all of our reviewers uh, for all the tracks who are looking over submissions and giving feedback and are going to help us pick a wonderful program. But if you would like to share an idea, it is not too late. You have until February 9th to submit an idea. Uh, we'll have the website on our show notes, so go check out the process. It's actually pretty – Craig, is it easy? Uh, it's fairly easy. It's a pretty easy process. So if you got an idea, you want to come and share it with people who would be interested in learning from you, you gotta, I like to say you gotta be in it to win it. So, uh, uh, write it up and hopefully it might be part of the program. So, uh, we look forward to hearing what you have to share. So check out and share an idea today. The uh, conference website is in the show notes. Lee is next. So, uh, I put on something uh, called stack exchange that is on purpose uh, sounds like Stack Overflow because it's basically Stack Overflow for abstract abstract concepts, and in particular, if you go to programming dot dot com, you will get uh, the programming concepts, which has a lot of cool little uh, abstract discussions and questions and answers. So it's kind of fun. I don't think they're all abstract. I think there's like. Uh, uh, English language one, which I kind of enjoyed. It's basically a network of, of sites that are like Stack Overflow, yeah, uh, but for different topics. Yeah. Okay. According to our authoritative list here, Craig is next. Alrighty. Um, my first pick is the Elm programming language. And uh, I've got two videos that I think you should watch that, that will probably sell you on it pretty well. Uh, the first is uh, by Evan. Oh, I don't even know how to say his last name. Uh, Zapliki, I think. Ugh, good luck. Um, <laughs> uh, it's called Controlling Time and Space, Understanding the Many Formulations of FRP, which is Functional Reactive Programming. Pretty popular um, in the JavaScript space uh, with um, uh, Flux and React. Um, and um, the other one is by Richard Feldman. And it is make the backend team jealous Elm in production. Both of those come from strange loop talks. They are on, um, a, uh, where are they? Uh, YouTube. And, uh, they've sold me on it. And I started an Elm user group in St. Louis because I want to learn it and need an excuse. Uh, my second pick is the idea of a do tank. It's like a think tank, but they do stuff instead of think about stuff. And uh, I wish I remembered where I heard that idea, but I heard it sometime last week. And um, I did look it up and found some think and do tanks, but not just a plain do tank. So how, how is this different than a makerspace, Craig? Um, well, like a think tank isn't so much as well, maybe it is. I think a, a think tank has more directed um, focus, like they're going to think about you know, political solutions for X, Y, Z. So I think it'd be like a makerspace with uh, sort of a direction that they're trying to solve a, some specific problems. Okay. And this will be interesting. Amos, uh, it looks like you have some very scholarly picks here. Could you tell us I, about them? I, I do. Uh, I've, I've got one pick. It's called Neural Schemas Toward a Comprehensive Mechanism of Mind. Uh, I am it, – it is, it's somebody's dissertation um, that we all know and love. I'm not going to say who it is, so you guys are just going to have to go out and check it out and then, and then tell, tell us what you think. It is a dissertation, so it's dry, but – 
it's good. <laughs> um, I'm kidding. I have I have no idea. I've so, only read part of it. So that's your first scholarly pick. Now your next scholarly pick is what? Uh, northernbrewer.com. So uh, I started brewing my own beer um, based on my brother-in-law, who's also a software developer, who decided that I needed to brew my own beer. So um, contrary to my wife's wishes, he bought me a brew kit for for Christmas, and I think I'm hooked. Okay. Hooked or drunk? Uh, I'm not drunk. I haven't... I I had a little sip today uh, after I tested the specific gravity of my current, but um, I, I haven't actually bottled anything yet, but I'm getting, like, way drawn into all the science part of it and stuff, and I feel like a chemist, and it's kind of crazy. So, ladies and gentlemen, unfortunately, that is all we have time for tonight. So just like your current sprint, this podcast must come to an end. But what do you do at the end of your sprint, everybody? What do we do? Have a retro. We have a retro. Relax. (laughs) What do we need to have a retro? Come on, we just talked about Diana Larson. We need some data. So if you're listening to us, guess what? We love your feedback. So that will help us get better. Make sure we have a great podcast that you guys all enjoy listening to. So with that... Send us some feedback on Twitter, email, web, whatever, um, or connect with us on Slack. We have a Slack channel. Thank you, Amos, for setting that up. And most importantly, everyone, keep living this Agile life. This Agile life is brought to you by a community of Agile developers and coaches aspiring to spread the word about this groundbreaking approach to software development. Join us at thisagilelife.com forward slash community.